you've done your homework. I think the key is just create a relationship with the banker. I mean, we're all people, right? It's at the end of the day, it's scary. It should be one of your colleagues, one of your friends, whatever you want to call it, your trusted advisors that you can, you can lean on. You can ask questions, you know, can almost consult back and forth. Bankers are always happy to do that. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest has 15 years of experience experience as a seasoned banker. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we had it's just a, a great conversation around his background and the perspective that it brings into our industry. Uh, but just a, a big background in finance and real estate and sales, uh, professional proven track record of success. His name is Brian Tobler. He has a, a solid production history demonstrated by the ability to source, analyze, and execute a variety of commercial real estate deals. Uh, you're going to learn a lot from him today. I, I just got to go ahead and tell you, he, he was a, a financial analyst for the government. And then a bank examiner, right through the 2008 crisis. There's things that you know he's going to have a different perspective, right, than many we have on the show. So I enjoyed that, and I hope that you learn a lot today. It is interesting to hear from different perspectives in our business, right? There's different fields who, man, as an operator, I want to know how they see me as I come to work with them, right, or as we partner on deals, whatever this may be. But today, and this perspective comes from a banker. Man, uh, with lots of experience uh, and now even an active experience in our business. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, honored to have you on. Looking forward to learning from you and the listeners learning from you as well. Uh, give us a little more about your your banking background, finance background, you know, and then let's, you know, we'll move towards, you know, now your your active role in this space as well. Yeah, so just a quick synopsis on me. I largely began my career with the government uh, as a financial analyst and moved into being a bank examiner through the through the Great Recession, if you will. So I was able to see a lot of different deals as a bank examiner at a lot of different banking institutions that struggled through that downturn. So it kind of gave you a different view of what happened from the financial institution perspective there. After that timing, I, I pivoted out of that in commercial lending and in commercial lending for the last nine years. I've done hundreds of millions of dollars um, in deal flow to largely real estate investors in the Denver metro area. So anything from from ground up construction to, to commercial real estate, retail, industrial, hospitality, multifamily, I mean, kind of the whole gamut. I've seen a lot and still uh, have a lot to learn. You know, nobody knows everything. So happy to always learn from others, but uh, bring my perspective and, and what I what I'm good at and what I know. Yeah, that's interesting. I would love to hear maybe some some lessons learned or a couple examples or stories that being a, a bank examiner during that time. And what did you take from that that you're able to apply right now? I think the key there is, you know, the market always has cycles. And, you know, sometimes even banks get confident in lending and in giving out debt that, that maybe shouldn't be given out, or sometimes sponsors or borrowers push banks to to do certain things. But I think I think the wisest approach is for the uh, not only the borrower but the bank both to feel comfortable with the leverage and what they're doing. Make sure that it's underwritten conservatively because you know I think what we saw then, at least here in Colorado, was there was a lot of development deals, land deals that that ultimately failed. And when you have to sell those for thirty cents on the dollar, and you're talking tens of millions of dollars, it bleeds the capital out of the bank literally almost overnight. I mean, you know, if, if that value drops that quickly, 
I think that's the key is just going back to the fundamentals and, you know, we can all get a little excited. The market's hot. We're, we're going to miss out. We all get a little greedy at times. And, and I think that's what we have to catch ourselves and say, Hey, does this make sense? Is it underwritten fundamentally right? Are we protected both from the investor standpoint as well as from, from the financial institution standpoint? Because the capital stack, I mean, has to make sense for everybody, right? It does. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just, you know, I have this many interviews. I've never had someone on the show. I don't think that was a bank examiner specifically during that time as well. So that's just an interesting take. And, uh, you know, and that like the, the first thing you think about for the wisest approach is really that that LTV. Is that accurate? Ensuring both sides, the operator and the lender feel good about that, that loan to value that we're not over leveraging. Yeah, I think loan to value and then just making sure the cash flow is there, right? Because I, I think, especially for developers, you know, if, if it's an operating existing asset, it's, it's stabilized. That's a little bit different than if it's, you know, you're you're buying land to develop and and you're buying more and more and more because you want something in the hopper so you don't run out of inventory, right? And then that's when you can overstretch and and really kind of have a bad day or month or couple years. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, a few years, many years. Yeah, work out of it. Yeah, it's great to hear that perspective and just think through that and how we can apply that uh, right now. Uh, you know, speak to though, you know, after this many years now in banking, uh, we'll try to do both sides of this uh, given time that we have. But, uh, but first, you know, the operator coming to you, the lender, Help them to be better prepared than normal, you know, better, you know, just equipped, you know, to work with you as the banker, you know, being in their shoes. What were some of the best examples maybe, uh, you know, of the operators that came to you that, man, you were like, okay, this, this operator's got it together. This is somebody we want to partner with. What did they do that made them stand out in that way? I think the best operators and and, and the folks that the, the bankers appreciate the most, and and obviously being on the investor side too, I have to keep this in mind as I as I push forward and, and turn to banks for for debt as well. But you know, I think it's having your package clean and orderly. So if you have your underwriting that you can submit with your pro forma, you have your property or project information all laid out very clean and orderly you have you know the overall financial package you know whether that requires a personal financial statement the tax returns the rent rolls depending on whatever property type you're doing and then you know a resume or something that kind of lays out the experience depending on how long you've worked with this banker but if you're new you're going to need it all right and and they're going to have to get to know you so bringing all that in a dropbox file or or in some way that the banker can get it, read it, review it, and and make a quick decision on, yes, we think this is something we can pursue with. They can get it into their team, into the underwriting a lot quicker that way. Everybody comes out happier than if it's piecemeal together. And and occasionally, yes, the bankers are going to come back and say, hey, we need more, or we need we need a little more on this or that. But I think that's a huge start. Kind of the, not that the, you're going to treat them any differently, but if somebody comes unorganized, or they're missing a lot of the material, or there's their financials don't add up or something, it just, it starts to raise red flags. And then that hurts their chances, honestly, of, of getting through or getting through quickly. Yeah, for sure. Now you laid out a number of things there too, to have together in that package, you know, that you talked about, and no doubt about it, just makes it easy, makes it show that they've done their their work, their homework, right? Before they've come to you. Yeah, they've educated themselves, hopefully about the asset class, but this specific asset they're coming to you about. What would you say about someone coming to you maybe before they have a deal, right? Just to develop the relationship and discuss their plans. Is there a way that you even like to see that presented? Maybe even before they have a, a specific project in mind that they need lending for? 
Yeah, I'd say the the one of the best ways is usually bankers are pretty willing unless they're just totally overwhelmed. But if you can get them, you know, out to some sort of a coffee meeting or a lunch, sit down with them, get to know them, get to know their personality, and then talk through what you're doing. You know, we're it's it's not rocket science. It's just more of hey, th- these are my thoughts, these are my ideas, this is what I'm doing. I'd like to come to you for this type of financing. Does this make sense? And then, you know, maybe do a little give and take of feedback from the banker and, and, and vice versa. So you can kind of fill each other out what that looks like. A, that helps you to meet in person or, or even if it's a Zoom call or something, if, if it's unable to be in person. So they know who they're talking to. And then when they do come back with a project, you know, the banker can be a lot more confident and excited about, hey, I know this person. Um, this isn't just somebody that randomly popped out of the woodwork and I have no idea where they came from. Because quite honestly, a lot of banks will say, hey, was this a referral from another existing customer? And if it was, it's usually a little easier to get them in. If it wasn't, it's like, well, how did you get to know them? You know, where'd they come from? What's their experience? What's their background? So all the things that the bank's going to want to know. Yeah, for sure. I want to make sure we have some time to really talk about, you know, the opposite side of this coin a little bit, and even you going into the active side of this business now, but anything else you would like to leave the listener with as far as, you know, from the banker's perspective, you're sitting in the banker's lender seat, right? You know, working with an operator, what else would you say, hey, they need to make sure, you know, you all know this or before you have this meeting or this deal, whatever it may be. I think if you've done your homework, I think the key is just just create a relationship with the banker. I mean, we're all people, right? It's at the end of the day, it's your banker shouldn't be scary. It should be one of your colleagues, one of your friends, whatever you want to call it, your trusted advisors that you can you can lean on, you can ask questions, you know, can almost consult back and forth. Bankers are always happy to do that. I mean, most bankers are on a salary, so it's not like they're they're losing money to talk to you. And then from there, it's obviously they want to get deals because that's how they're compensated. So um, they want to make sure that they're dealing with people that are really going to come with a full package and, and be able to fulfill their side of it so the deal can get closed. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. Well, you know, speak to your decision to leave that industry now, you know, and go in more of the active route, your thoughts behind that. I guess why you you feel that good about our industry and our multifamily, whatever asset class it is you're focused on. Yeah, so I'm kind of spiraling right now. I'm, I'm, I'm in a little bit of the brokerage role. I'm, I'm currently not in in a banker's seat. I do have banks that are interested in wanting to hire me, but I'm trying to decide, you know, what do I what do I do with my time? And a part of that is is taking more of an active role in the investment community, you know, getting involved in more in conferences and masterminds, meeting people, helping people. So I think the biggest difference is, you know, I, I was able to to see some syndicators information internally and it kind of opened my eyes to wow this this can be a really lucrative career path and not only that but you get to help a lot more people than you know if you're just helping each operator as they come there you know those those deal sizes you can you can help a handful a year you know based on dollar volume but you can help a lot of people if you become a syndicator, especially, you know, multifamily or storage, I mean, people need units, right? People need a place to live. A lot of folks are looking to deploy their money. They, they have 401ks and they're like, well, this isn't getting me there. They work hard. They do good in what they do for work, but they're trying to figure out other solutions uh, and other alternatives to invest their money. And I think that's really what lights me up is getting involved and helping people raise the capital get it into deals so they can make their money work for them. Yeah, no, it's interesting to hear, you know, different people leaving what a lot would see a secure long-term, you know, position, right? To to move into this field. I did the same thing and I started with uh, yeah, government many years ago, but not in the financial world by any means. 
but uh, that's, that's interesting. Speak to your growth now. You moving into the active route. How, how did you determine, hey, I, I'm confident enough to do that or educate yourself? How did you start growing in this way and, and you know, your plan moving forward? Yeah. So I I think the first place for most people is you you get material, right? You start educating yourself, start reading, start watching podcasts. Um, you get more involved in the community. And then as, as you do that, you get more knowledge, you get more confidence of, okay, well, this is what, what this is maybe my path. You know, cause there's a lot of different paths a person can take. You can partner, you can, you can do your own operation. You can, you can be a capital raiser, you know, you can do funds. There's a lot of different approaches you could take in, in this industry. So I think that's, that's where I started. I mean, I, I jumped in and started educating myself, started networking. And the more I did that, I was like, well, man, this is, I really enjoy this. This is what I'd like to do more of kind of speaks to you, so to speak. Yeah, uh, no doubt. There's so many ways to educate ourselves and a lot, so much free information now too. Uh, I think, man, you, know, you do have to jump in and, and make some stuff happen, meeting some people. And uh, it's, uh, But uh, one thing before I forget, I meant to ask you was back kind of on the banker conversation a moment, but uh, how do you know which bankers are going to be the ones to help you get the deal closed, right? You know, so you're not spinning your wheels, you know, really with the wrong lender as well. Any thoughts behind that? That can be somewhat tricky because some sales professionals, they will talk, they will talk it all up and then they don't fulfill it, right? It's, it's kind of all talk and, and no action. But so I think it boils back down to whatever markets you're going to want to operate in. I think that is part of your due diligence, not only for yourself, but your your investors of saying, hey, I need to I need to get a list and I need to interview some bankers and I need to get, you know, word of, word of mouth is probably the best referrals, right? Of talking to other operators. Who do you use? Who's been good? Who who will fulfill what they say they'll do? Who gets deals closed and doesn't retrade or or do weird things? And, you know, I know there's always circumstances, things can happen, but um, I think that's the best way is, is the referral sources. And then if it's just, hey, what banks are lending on CRE, you call them up and, and you start drilling down and, and you get them to go to lunch with you or, and, you know, have the buyer banker buy you lunch, can't speak there. So, you, you know, you get a free lunch out of it and they, they're happy to, you know, they're looking, that's their job is to grow business development, right? Um, just like Just like anybody. So I think that's what you've got to do. And I think I would say, have two or three, you know, I, I think one primary guy, but have, have maybe a backup or, or even a third that's in the market. So if for whatever reason that bank is full on that type of asset for the year, for the budget, then, then you have another, another one or two guys that you can lean on to, to get the deal done. For sure. Have more than one in your pocket. From your experience, I mean, you're a bank examiner to, you know, and then a lender, you know, yourself uh, for many years, you know, now going active, from what you learned, which asset class are you focused on and why? Uh, right now, I'm primarily focused on multifamily. That tends to be where where a lot of my network is. Not that there's anything wrong. I, I like storage. I like multifamily. I like industrial. I've personally invested in, in both multifamily and industrial. I think any asset class can make sense. But for me personally right now, I'm, I'm mostly geared towards uh, the multifamily space. And I would say there's, you know, there's a lot of properties out there. There's a lot of activity going on and there's, it's just where I see opportunity. So it's, it's kind of, you have to, any asset class can be good. You just want to make sure you understand it and the underwriting is, is solid and, 
and and it's making sense. You know, how are you mitigating risk now? You know, just in the economic climate that we're in. You know, even from what you know, you know, from previous experience, other than you know having a you know the LTV that you feel good about. Maybe what are some other things that you know, I, you know from your experience too? It's like okay, I know we should be doing these things, or if I'm partnering with an operator, you know, these are some things I want to see in place, or them doing, or in our deals, or you know whatever. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a few big things that I, I guess that we all need to be aware of, and I think the first thing that I that I look if I'm a, if I'm going to partner with an operator in particular is I want to see communication, you know, that's consistent and that's good, that's timely. Second, I want to see that they whether it's me or them, if I'm doing my own or I'm partnering with somebody that they've vetted the location, right? That they understand the market and that the locations that they're looking to buy assets or the, the ones that they're underwriting are are in a good location because you, you know, you can't trade the location. <laughs> Once you buy the asset, it is where it is. So I would say location is very, very important. And we, that's the age old phrase, right? Location, location, location. But that holds very true in the marketplace and it draws a certain, I guess, person to the property, if you will. So again, it's the fundamentals. Hey, do they underwrite? Are they conservative? What are their assumptions? Are their assumptions realistic and reasonable? Are they stretching to make numbers look better? Or is this just, hey, this asset cash flows. Day one, we can go in. This thing makes sense. Anything we do to force appreciation is just really just that value add, right? We're not having to like really, really heavy lifts. I, I, you know, I think people need to really know what they're doing because in, in a lot of cases, those won't cash flow on day one. But if you know what you're doing and, and you get in there and you can, you've got a good team that that can still make sense. But yeah, just kind of nothing, nothing earth shattering, right? It's just it's the same old fundamentals that, that happen in, in a process of, of taking down an asset. But, but then I also say the experience of the operator in a partnership basis of, you know, have they gone full cycle? You know, what, what are their other properties look like? What were the results? What did they tell their investors? And then how did that end up coming to fruition? Yeah, no, that's a great list of items there. No doubt about it. And we hear some of those often for a reason, right? One, they are important. Uh, and two, they've been proven to maybe have not been done many times by, by many uh, investors, right? Or operators. So uh, it's good. We can't hear those things too many times, I, I believe. But, you know, Brian, do you have any predictions uh, just for the economic market or real estate market over the next uh, 6, 12, 18 months? I don't really have any strong predictions. I think that uh, we all kind of know it's, it's going to be a little more challenged. So, you know, obviously the debt markets, the interest rates are high and any floating debt has to be thought about cautiously and carefully as far as, you know, what that looks like for, from a cash flowing perspective of the property. So even if it's an interest only, you know, bridge loan, if you don't have some sort of cap on that or, or some sort of reasonable timeline, you know, that could squeeze the property. So it'll be real interesting. I think there will be some distress. You know, I, I think we're seeing that coming out in some of the news articles, some of the research hitting the news is saying that, you know, some distress is already starting to hit the market and that'll really determine kind of operators. Cause I, I always like to say we we all look like heroes in an up in an up environment, right? Bankers, operators, whatever. Everybody looks like a hero because the appreciation of the market, debt's cheap, you know, we can just sling deals and and it can turn and and turn and burn. But now that now that things are leveling out and and debt is has gone up significantly, um, I think it's gonna it's gonna change the game for a lot of folks. And we're gonna have to really be thoughtful about kind of the underwriting assumptions surrounding that in particular. 
Yeah, the last thing we want is a, a bank examiner to be having to look at our <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, that's never good. <laughs> uh, what's a, what's a way you've recently improved your business, Brian, that we could apply to ours? A way that I've improved my business. Well, I don't know if I have a great answer for that, but I, I think the way that I I take daily action to improve is to continue to learn and grow. I mean, I don't think there's a better way than just personally to learn and grow and and kind of learn something every day, right? Whether that's reading, watching something, taking something in, networking with people, just so much out there. Sometimes it feels overwhelming, right? Like, man, I have so much to learn still relative to what's out there. But um, I would say that's the number one thing for me is that growth, learning, and consistently improving myself so that I can be better for those that I'm serving. Awesome. What about your best source for meeting new investors right now? What would that be? Best source, man, there's there's a lot. I think the, the quickest way if you want to start to meet a lot of people is to attend conferences. I mean, that's that's just jumping in the deep end. You know, you get you can't be a wallflower, just get off the wall, shake hands, talk to people. Uh, everybody's there for the same reason. So, you know, you shouldn't hesitate to just talk to whoever you can and um, get to know them, what they're doing, see where you can add value to them. Uh, Another way is obviously LinkedIn. You know, there's so many professionals out there. You kind of see their background, you see what they're about. You can message them, get to know them, especially if they're in, in obviously different markets. So those are two great ways. What about your best advice for passive investors? Best advice for passive investors. I think the best advice I could give is, you know, make sure that that you understand what the active partnership or operators are doing as best you can. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna know everything, but you should have a good solid understanding of, hey, this is what we're investing in. Here's the numbers. Does this make sense? And then obviously feeling comfortable with their history and their track record. What are the most important metrics that you track? Could be personally or professionally. You caught me red-handed. Now, I could be better at tracking, honestly, but I think the metrics to track, you know, really for me, I think boil down to financial metrics of, you know, that's kind of proof in the pudding that you're doing things right. So so whether that's you're growing your rents in a property or you're growing your your revenue. I think the most important metric though is is profitability because ultimately that's that's what pays us all. You know, you could have all the revenue in the world, but if you're just breaking even, you know, that profit margin is huge. So, and then just personal goals. I I do have goals. I write those goals down and I track those. So, to me that is a metric of how am I tracking my goals? You know, how am I doing with those goals and and reviewing those regularly and, and making sure they're written. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I think it's a combination of just being diligent, being hungry for for reaching those goals, and then just being somewhat conscientious. I, I know that's some people get success by not being conscientious; they just go for it. But but for me and in, in my career path, I think you have to be you have to be conscientious and think things through, look at the risk, but then still take action. Right. So ultimately, you got to move that needle forward. And how do you like to give back? I donate a fair amount. So I give back through service, primarily, I'd say through my church and then financial donations too. I, I, uh, I'm I consistent at doing that. Awesome. Brian, it's been a pleasure to meet you and have you on the show. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed you know being able to tackle it from the perspective of a bank examiner, but then also a lender. It's, that's fun. I can't say we've ever done that. You know, sixteen hundred shows. So grateful for your time and, and to meet you. Tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. 
Yeah. So to get get in touch with me, I, I think the two easiest ways is my website, toblercapital.com or LinkedIn. You can find me under my name, Brian Tobler, you know, get my background, my history all is all there. So um, those are probably the two easiest ways. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 